welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of October 2011, entitled Samson, the Weakest Man in the Bible, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from Judges chapter 16, verses 1 to 31. Here's Brother Chris Mansfield. So we're on part three of our study of Samson. We're in chapter 16 of Judges. We'll read chapter 16. If you can stand, it's quite a long reading. If you can stand, that'd be great. If not, then there's no problem if you'd like to sit. So we're in Judges 16. Then Samson went to Gaza, and he saw there a harlot, and he went into her. And it was told the the Gazaites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning... When it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson laid until midnight, and he rose at midnight, and he took the door of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he went away with them, bar and all, and he put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is in Hebron. And it came to pass after that he loved a woman in the valley of Sirek, whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and whereby we have means that we prevail against him, that we might bind him to afflict him, and we may give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said unto Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherein thou mayest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If the bind we with seven green wits, which have never been dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. And the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her seven green wits, which had never been dried, and she bound him with them. And when, um, and, sorry, now there were men lying in wait, abiding in her chamber, and she said unto them, The Philistines are upon thee, Samson. And he broke the wits as threads toe were broken when he touches the fire. So the strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me, and have told me lies. Now tell me wherein, thee, wherein um, thou might be bound. And he said unto her, If thou bind me fast with new ropes that have never been occupied, then I will be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him wherewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were lies in wait, abided in the chamber, and he brake them from off his arms like thread. Like thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Tell me wherein thou might be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest my seven locks of hair with the web, and he fastened it with the pin, and she fastened it with the pin, sorry, and he said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awake out of his sleep, and he went away with the pin and the beam and the web. And he said, and she said unto him, Now castest thou say, I love thee, when thy heart is not with me. Thou hast mocked me these three times, and, hold, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lies. And it came to pass, um, she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death. That he told her all that, that he told her all his heart, and he said unto her, That had no razor upon his head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaved, then my strength will go from me, and I will become weak, and I will be like another another man. And Delilah, um, and when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she she sent and called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, um, Come up this once. For he hath shown me all his heart. Then the Lord of the Philistines came up upon her and brought money into her hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man. And she um, caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength was gone from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep, and he said, I will go out of my, I will go out as other times before, and shake myself and he was not the Lord had departed from him but the Philistines took 
him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. <clears throat> Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he had been shaved, <clears throat> shaven. Then the Lord of the Philistines gathered um, themselves for an, a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God had delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that we may make a sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house and made sport, and they set him between the pillars. Samson said unto the lad that held him by his hand, Suffer me that I may fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth, and I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of women, full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that behold, beheld while Samson made sport. Then Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the, the house stood and on which it was um, bore up of the one on the right and on the one on the left hand. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the law, on the lords and upon all the people uh, that were therein. So the death which he slew at his death, so the dead that he slew at his death, were more than he slew in his life. Then he, his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtola in the burial place of Manoah, his father, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Please be seated. So um, this is uh, our third part, as we've said, of our study of Samson. And uh, I've called it the weakest man in the Bible. Um, we haven't got time um, to go through what we did uh, last week, but uh, it has been recorded and uh, um, you know, we just haven't got the time to go through it. So we're going to start in, um, in chapter, chapter 16. And as we ended last week, we said that um, in Galatians 5.16 it says, When we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And um, we've also mentioned that within the book of Judges, there are seven redemption um, people and seven times that Israel fall into sin. So we've got like Gideon and Barak and Samson and all these different people and Israel has a time of being obedient to God then they fall into sin then they get delivered and then they fall into sin and then they get delivered and as you look <clears throat> in um, chapter 1 of verse 16 this is exactly what happens to Samson. The last part that we read is that he's judging Israel for 20 years but now we find him um, turning again to sin. And just as Israel uh, walked with God for a while, as within the book of Judges and throughout the history of um, Israel, and then turned to sin, so with Samson. Um, if, if we don't walk in the Spirit, as we said, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The more we fulfill the appetites of the flesh, the more that the flesh will cause us to sin. And Samson's time now is coming for his sins to be judged. He has led a life of many sins, many disobediences to God. He's trampled his veil under his feet. And it is now coming a time where he is going to be judged for every single sin. And we'll see some ironies between the sins that he did and the place in which he was bound and the things that happened to him. So in verse 2, the, the Gazites found out where Samson's was. He goes with a prostitute. Um, he finds himself a prostitute. And, he go, and it says he, he lies with her, which is he had sexual intimacy with her. So he commits a sin there, and the, the, the Gazites find out um, where he is uh, within the city, and it says they locked the gates, and they waited for him to kill him. They, um, they compassed him, it says there, which means they blocked every single possible exit um, for him to get out. So there was no way for him to get out. Um, he's in this place, he's in Gaza. Gaza is right in the middle of Philistine territory. Um, there's no possible way uh, for him to get out without them seeing um, so Samson kind of like maybe gets wind of this that they're there and instead of waiting till morning it says that they are there he decides he's going to go at midnight 
and he um, lays holes of the city gates. These are enormous gates. They're not some like little picket fence that you might think. Enormous gates to the city. But not only does he, he lay hold of the, the gates, he also dislodges and pulls out the pillars that the gates hold. The gates were extremely strong. They were extremely, you know, to do with um, fortifying the city. And Samson here picks them up with no efforts and carries them from sea level, 250 feet above sea level, uphill to Hebron. Now, this is an extreme feat of strength. And we know when we've said that it's not Samson's strength, it's God's divine strength. Now, you might ask, why would God allow Samson to escape this sin that he did? He's sleeping with a prostitute. Um, why would God allow him to escape? Well, as we will see, Samson's time for his sins to be judged are coming soon. And Samson will pay for every single sin that he does. Um, God delivers Samson from this place within the city only that more judgment can fall on the Philistines that are oppressing Israel. That's the only reason for it. He delivers him only so more judgment can fall. Um, now in verse 4, um, we come to the most famous lady in Samson's life. This lady is the only lady that's mentioned by name within Samson's life. His mom doesn't get named and all his other wife didn't get named. But here we have um, Delilah. And um, this is obviously when you, you say Samson, you automatically think of Delilah, don't you? Samson and Delilah. Um, her name, Delilah, it means devotee or flirtatious. Now you might think, well, what's, what does that mean? Well, both these names have links with Ishtar, which is a Philistine fertility goddess. And it's quite possible that Delilah was a temple prostitute because of her name. So here we have again, Samson's in the wrong place again. He's looking at these women through his eyes. He's lusting after them. And as we've said, within the book of Judges, the sin that Israel did the most was everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And we've already discussed why um, Samson did this. We've discussed in the past, in the last um, study or sermon that we did, that he should have been obedient to his parents. He should have married within his own tribe, within Israel. But he lusted after women through his eyes. So it's quite possible that Delilah is a temple prostitute. Um, and if you look, we've said in the past that you always go down to sin. We've mentioned this a few times. And if you look there um, in verse 4, it says, he loved a woman in a valley. Now, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work out that you have to go down to get into a valley. And here we have Samson again going down into a valley to commit sin. And we've said before that Samson regularly, he went down from different places to sin. And here we have the same thing here. Um, you have to go down to get into a valley, and that is exactly what Samson did, and the place was called Sekor. This valley was right within the, in the middle of Philistine hands. Now in verse 5, the Lord of the Philistines, this is five kings, they, um, they want to find out where Samson's great strength lies. Um, they want to find out how they can. Now the Hebrew word for Lord is Seren. And this term is used for the five kings of the Philistines. And um, so we, now, God, if you like, is we're right at the very top of the government of the Philistines. We're at the kings. So this possibly, or we will find out, this is where God wants to strike. You know, if you hit the core then it's going to cause confusion without the whole land. And um, so these five kings, they um, want to know the source of Samson's great strength. And not only the source of the strength, but they also want to know how they can bind him and afflict him. Um, they may have thought that it was some magical kind of like um, strength that he'd got, and they want to may have used it for their own ill-gotten gain. Um, and we've said before that Samson's strength was from God. He was no Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
he didn't look like Victor Mature. I mean, the kids have got a video of Samson and Delilah, and there's Victor Mature doing his stuff. You know, he didn't. We've already discussed that he was just a normal man. He looked more like a, a long-haired fugitive with no, you know, no great muscles. Um, so they knew this. They knew that there was something different, and the strength was coming from somewhere else. So the kings asked Delilah. Um, to try and persuade Samson to reveal where his great strength lies. Their plan was to totally humiliate Samson. Um, and so now we come to the time where Samson's sins and the consequences of his sins are going to come to be played out before him. Samson's blindness to his sin is soon to be realized. Um, and what the Philistine armies could not do with great might within great battles, and we've talked about in the past, in the last studies, how they couldn't prevail against Samson because of his great strength, Delilah is going to do through seduction. She's going to trick him into revealing where his great strength lies. And if you turn to Proverbs 2.16, it says, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, with flattery with her words. And that is exactly what Delilah is going to do. She's going to flatter him. She's going to entice him through sexual means to reveal to him where his great strength lies. And also in Proverbs 7.26, it says there, For she hath cast down many wounded, ye many strong men have been slain by her. Now this is exactly uh, what's going to happen to Samson. He's going to be tricked into revealing the secret of his great strength. Now we know that the devil is the master of seduction. You know, we're coming up to Halloween and um, normally within the Bible club we do something on Halloween to try and um, teach the children about the dangers of Halloween and the origin of Halloween and how it's, you know, they might think that they're just knocking doors getting sweets, but there's some deep evil behind Halloween and what it's all about. And the devil is the master of seduction is the, you know, he, he doesn't come, as Pastor has said, with a forked tail and horns on his head and dressed in his red cloak. You know, the Bible says he's, he comes as an angel of light. He comes to deceive. And the, the devil is the master of seduction. And wherever we are weak as a Christian, he makes himself strong against us. So if we're weak in one area, he will make him strong to deceive in that area. And we must never be unaware of the devil's devices and schemes. And we must always ask God to lead us in his ways. And it says, you know, lead us not into temptation, doesn't it, in the Lord's Prayer. And, um, you know, if you are separated from the brethren or you choose to be, you know, you become weak when you're on your own. You know, if we're strong together, um, we can be strong, and where one person is weak within the church, within the church here, someone else is strong. You know, we're a body that operates as a body. You know, if we're all ears, where's the sense of smell? If we're all eyes, where's this? You know, where's the sense of hearing? So, collectively, under Christ, He builds the church. He puts us all together. We're not all strong in all areas, but we might be strong in some areas that other areas are weak. So it is important to be together, to be part with one another, because we're not yet perfected in Christ, are we? We are weak in areas. And the devil will make himself strong individually to you in that area. And as we've, um, we've said, Samson's Achilles heel was women. He lusted after them, he looked at them, and that was Samson's Achilles heel. And Samson's lust for Philistine women was the beginning of every single sin that he did. So that is where the devil is going to make himself strong within Samson's life. And we can see and we've looked how this was so. So it is important to recognize your weaknesses, but also to recognize strengths in other people because we're a body. We're not on our own. We're linked together as a body under Christ as the head. So it is important that we recognize our weaknesses, but we also recognize strengths in other people because normally where you are weak, they might be strong and they can be a means in keeping you away from these areas of sin and temptation. So we must always be aware of our weaknesses 
and walk in obedience to God. These weak areas are the main areas where the devil will strike. And as we've said, this is exactly what happened with Samson. In verse 6, so now Delilah uh, asks the question. She doesn't beat around the bush. She comes straight to the point and she asks, where does your strength come from and how can we bind you to afflict you? And now Samson is so self-assured of his strength that we will see that now he amuses himself at Delilah's expense. But we will see he tries to do this once too often. And uh, Samson's answers, we will see, and to Delilah's questions, will always contain some small hint of an answer to the question. And they will be obviously tied to his vow of a, of a Nazarite. Um, they'll not always be the full truth, but there will be some little bits of the truth that he's trying to just play games with Delilah. So in verse 7, um, Delilah asks how he can be bound. And Samson says, bind me with seven green widths. Now, I didn't know what a width was, so I looked it up, and they are animal tendons. They were fleshly slaughtered animal tendons, okay? And they would be extremely strong. And they will also be very good at holding a knot. And the other thing that's unique about these things is that when they dry, they would shrink. So the knot would, the, the rope would go on, you know, from animal tendons. They would be put around your wrist, around your ankles. The knot would hold because it's like sinew and, you know. And then as they dry, they would tighten even more. So that is what the widths are there. They are animal tendons. And um, as we've said, they would dry and tighten. So what part of Samson's vow is he revealing here? Well, because they're part of a freshly slaughtered animal, Samson, because of his vow, would have been unable to touch them. So he's now trying to play games with Delilah and gradually not fully reveal the answer to her question, but slightly reveal some aspect of his vow. So the, the aspect that he's revealing that of a Nazarite vow, he was not able to touch anything from a carcass. And because they were part of a carcass containing sinew and they were still fleshly sorted, he's now slowly and kind of like quite craftily revealing some part of his vow towards uh, Delilah. And in verse 9, the Philistines, they were laying wait in the chamber, and maybe this was they knew that the knot needed a little bit of a time to dry, to tighten up, and they laid wait there for a bit, and the first binding of Samson, as we know, it was unsuccessful, and he broke them with no problem at all. So we now come in verse 10 to 12, the second attempt, and... Um, we read here that he's instructed to be bound with new ropes. And it says that they which have never been occupied. So basically that means if they've never been occupied, they've never been used. And uh, there were both new and unused ropes that had never come in contact with anything that would defile Samson due to his vow of Nazarite. So now Samson is revealing another aspect of his vow, that he shouldn't touch anything unclean. And because these ropes were brand new, you know, they wouldn't have come out of a wrapper kind of thing, but they would have been brand new, not occupied, not come in contact with anything that would defile Samson. He's now revealing that aspect of his vow to Delilah. And um, so this is another little hint of the answer to a question, but not fully revealing the whole answer to the question. So Samson is playing games now with her, and step by step he's revealing some aspects of the truth to live up to Delilah. But little does he know, as he's coming closer to revealing aspects of his vow, he's also coming closer to the judgment of God falling upon him. And as before, where the tendons were just broke, the uh, Philistines laying wait for him, and the ropes couldn't hold him. And the second point in which they tried to bind Samson, that also was unsuccessful. So now we come to verse 13, the third attempt or the third way in which Samson tries to uh, um, play this game with Delilah. And Samson now direct, directly mentions his seven locks of hair. So we haven't, you know, we haven't got to um, 
use anything really quite, um, you know, super intelligent there. The hair was his sign of his Nazarite vow. He'd never cut his hair from when he was a baby. So these seven locks of hair, by mentioning them, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to play this game with Delilah and revealing the fact that the hair was the sign of his Nazarite vow. And he says to um, Delilah, fix my hair in the web with a pin. And that basically means interweave the seven locks of my hair within the weaving cloth that's on the, the, the web of the, the loom. And this attempt also was doomed to failure and Samson pulls himself out. So now the time to end this delusion with Samson, with his hair, with his veil was come. And in verse 15 and 16, Delilah's had enough now. And um, she says, you know, you've mocked me these three times. And Delilah now pressurizes and urges him to reveal the truth. And in verse 16, we have a phrase there. She urged him so that his soul, soul vexed unto death. The Hebrew word to urge means to plague, to press, and to torment. And this Hebrew word is only used this one place in the whole of the Bible. Delilah put Samson under tremendous emotional pressure here. Samson is emotionally exhausted. And you might say, in today's language, he's on the point of a nervous breakdown. That is what the Hebrew is trying to say to us. He has messed around with women. He's enjoyed the pleasures of sin. He's, instead of fighting God's battles with the Philistines, he's played games with them. And all this now is cascading and falling within Samson's heart. And he's just exhausted. And God has put him on the point of a nervous breakdown. And you know, so many people are there because of sin. Because of, you know, the sin that's in this world, the sin that's in people's lives. As we've said before, when Samson ate of that honey, we said, didn't we? It was sweet in his mouth, but it was bitter in his stomach. And that is what sin's like. It's great when you just got it in your mouth. It's so sweet. And, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're sinning. But then the consequences of that sin turn your stomach over and it's sickness and bitterness in your stomach. So Samson now is exhausted. All of his sin, all of that judgment is cascading down into Samson's heart. And he's at that point now where he's, he's broken. And in verse 17, all he can do is just open his heart out and reveal every aspect of his vow that he made, that, well, not that he made, that God put upon him. And in verse 17, Samson now reveals the secret of his strength, and he tells her three things. And the first thing that he reveals there in verse 17 is that no razor has ever cut his head, or cut his hair, not cut his head, cut his hair. And... Um, as we've said before, the Nazarite vow from number six was an unusual thing, but to be called before he was born into that Nazarite vow, that was unique. So that's the next thing that he reveals. He says that I've had the vow of a Nazarite from my mother's womb. And the third thing he says, this is what she wants to know now, that if you cut my hair, my strength will go and I will be just like any other man. So he's opened his heart now. He's revealed his, every aspect of her, of her questions now. His heart has been vexed unto death. He's at a point now where he's emotionally exhausted and he's just give up the ghost and he's revealed everything to Delilah. So as we've said, obviously there was no strength in Samson's hair. Although maybe the Philistines could compare Samson to the Hellenistic Aegean long-haired warriors these um, warriors were associated with Phoebus and their strength that, that was said was associated with their hair. So maybe this is why the Philistines had such an interest in Samson and this long-haired man, because they may have associated this with these Aegean warriors. Samson's hair, though, was an outward sign of his Nazarite vow. It was the only outward appearance of his vow. So cutting off the hair was a visible manifestation of his disobedience to the Lord. 
His hair was cut off. He said he shouldn't cut it off. It was an outward sign of his disobedience. The majority of Samson's life was lived although in disobedience. He broke his vow several times before, as we've seen. But these times of disobedience came and went, came and went. But now his hair is going to be cut off. All remnants of his separation to God are going to be, are going to disappear. And now he's going to be on the verge of totally and completely being separated from God because of the act of cutting his hair off. So we now come to the point where his head is shaved. Delilah makes Samson fall to sleep on his knees. Um, we don't know how that was done, um, but, you know, she may have even been stroking in his long locks, you know, seductively knowing that once he's asleep, they're going to be cut off. And as we've read in Proverbs, you know, ladies are no more um, evil than mankind. But, you know, sexual seduction, you know, it, it's, it causes a lot of sin within mankind. And, you know, she may have been there stroking these locks, knowing that God's judgment is there going to fall on Samson. And as you look there in verse 19, it says, a man. Now, in Hebrew, the ah can mean not just ah, but it can mean lots of other things as well. And there's more to this than just a man. This was a specially chosen man that was specially gifted in cutting hair. And we know this because he was able to cut these locks off his head without waking Samson up. You know, you know, there's got to be pulling and there's got to be, you know, to cut your hair off. And this wasn't just some, you know, short back and sides. This man had long hair right down. You know, he had never had his hair cut. All his hair would have been matted together. And this man cuts his hair off without him even waking. So this man was a specially called man to cut Samson's hair off. And now we come. Samson has lived a life of sometimes in obedience to God, but mostly in disobedience to God. And he's messed around and thought he could get away with murder, if you like. But now the time for Samson's judgment is coming. And um, if you look in verse 20, the first thing to afflict Samson is Delilah. One thing that Samson loved or lusted after was Philistine women. And now the first thing to afflict him was the woman that loved him or said that she loved him. Delilah was the first to know that he was weak like a normal man. How she did this, we don't know. God's divine strength had gone, but more so, God's presence was gone within Samson. Samson's locks of hair were there just lying on the floor. Samson's hair was his outward sign of his Nazarite vow, and it was in honor to God. Um, and now, just as Samson had done so often to his vow, the sign of that vow, the hair, was being trampled under feet. Just like Samson had done so often to his vow, it is physically happening to that thing that God honored, which was his hair, it's being trampled underfoot. This is how exactly how Samson treated his vow. Lots of times he trampled it under his feet, didn't he? Um, God totally and utter departed from him. So in verse 21, Samson is judged and Samson's eyes are plucked out. Right at the very beginning of this study, we quoted the common theme from the book of Judges, which is, as you know, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Samson, as we've seen, was no exception to this. Many times he fell for women that pleased him, it says, through his eyes. Do you remember? She pleased me in my eyes, the Bible says. This is exactly what the theme of the book of Judges is. Everyone did what they thought was right in their eyes instead of being obedient to God. And we've said that he should have looked within his own um, camp of Israel to marry within the tribe where he chose. That lady pleases me in my eyes. And, 
you know, because of that, this lady was burnt in a house, as we've looked at before. Everyone did that was right in his own eyes, and Samson was no exception. Many times he fell for women that pleased him in his eyes, and so many times he was blinded to God's direction and God's ways. The Hebrew word to bore out his eyes, the Hebrew word to pull out his eyes really means to bore out his eyes. So they would kind of like drill his eyes out, which was just, um, it was common in those days. It was a common mutilation. And if you just want to make a note of these two scriptures, in 1 Samuel 11 2, there's a, a point there where um, people are getting their eyes bored out. And in 2 Kings 25 7, that's another example of how the eyes were literally bored out. And now we come to Samson, he gets put in prison. And as we've read at the beginning, do you remember the, the name of the city where Samson tore the gates off? It was Gaza, wasn't it? So now Samson is locked behind bars. Where? In Gaza. So at that point, we looked, Samson is getting away with his sin. He slept with a prostitute. He's took the bars off the city. He's got away with it. But the exact same place in which Samson committed that sin is now in brass, chained up behind bars, in Gaza. That's ironic, isn't it? You know, that at that point we think he's getting away with that sin, but now he's behind bars, locked up, his hair's gone, he's got no strength, he can't bend any of them bars at all, can't get out. So Samson is now locked behind bars in Gaza, and as we've said, Gaza is right in the middle of Philistine territory, so there's no possible rescue attempt possible. Um, Samson may have thought that he could get away with any sin before God, but God as we've said, he sees all things. And so Samson is now locked up in Gaza and Samson is bound hand and foot. And he says there that he is grinding at the mill. Now, if you look in Exodus 11.5, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill. We've said Samson is grinding in the mill or behind the mill, same thing. Now, when I first, when I've read this numerous, you know, lots of times, I thought this was like a big grinding that needed a lot of strength and, you know, whatever muscle Samson had got would have been bulging. And because of now divine strength, that was God's judgment. But as we've read there, it was a woman's job. Grinding in the mill was a woman's job. And this grinding at the mill was women's work. Many times Samson made a mockery of God and now God is humiliating him by the Philistines' hands and he's giving a woman's job that doesn't require any extra strength at all. And as we know, sin, it always binds. Sin will always hold you captive. Samson was chained there. Sin always humiliates and it grinds you right down. You might not know it, but it does. And all this now is happening to Samson. So if you're unsaved today and you were unaware of your sin, believe me, sin will grind you right down. You might live its pleasures of a season for a while, just like Moses did. You might think that you're having a, a wonderful time but it binds, it grinds, and it humiliates you. And sometimes, just like Samson, you're unaware of it because the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and your sins. You can't see it. And Jesus came to reveal the state of mankind's heart. And as saints, as believers, we're privileged to see our sin. You know, a dead man can't see anything, can he? We must go out with his gospel and proclaim this truth because people are deceived by our enemy, the devil, that sin has got his pleasures. And they, have, they, they do have a pleasure for a season, but they're unaware of its sin that binds, the sin that grinds, and the humil humiliation of sin. And as we've said, Samson now is feeling all that. Times all those sins that he did, he's now grinding in that mill in darkness he can't see remember you know he's had his eyes gouged out totally in darkness 
But now, we come to verse 22, and this is really important. And, you know, when you read the scriptures and um, you think, hang on, there's something more here than what it actually says. And this is in verse 22. And it says, Samson's hair began to grow again, didn't it? Now, by itself, that would seem some kind of absurd statement, wouldn't it? Well, if you cut your hair, it's going to grow again, isn't it? You know. So the scripture here must be implying more than what we read. Because if you cut your hair, it grows again, doesn't it? Remember, the word of God, it's the inspired word of God. You know, they're not just letters on a page. We've got the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit was in every letter and every chapter of this book. So it's employing more than just his hair growing after he had it cut off. And it must imply a re-examination within Samson's heart and Samson's relationship with God. And maybe now he's ready to take on this Nazarite veil. And we've said before, we've quoted number six a lot, and um, it says there that if a man or a woman um, within the children of Israel wanted to take on this Nazarite veil for a period of time, they could cut their hair off, they would go to the priest, and a sin offering would be given, and then they would come under this Nazarite veil, and then the period of time would elapse, and then within that time they couldn't cut their hair, they couldn't eat anything unclean, couldn't touch a dead body. But it says in number six that if accidentally a family relative died and they were unable to fully keep their veil and they accidentally touched a dead body, they could go, have their hair cut off again and re-put themselves under a veil through a sin offering. So when Samson's hair started to grow, but once Samson is fully grasping the full nature of this Nazarite veil, his hair's starting to grow, he's re-examining his heart, but Samson hasn't got a sin offering. Where's this um, sin offering going to come from? He's there. He's in darkness. He's grinding in the mill, but his hair's starting to grow. Maybe Samson was now ready to be God's man, be set apart truly and once for all to this veil of God and be God's man of the hour. He needed a sin offering though. And where was this offering for sin going to come from? He was grinding in the mill, wasn't he, in sin? So we get to verse 23 and 27. Samson is there in the prison house. But up above, in the courts above, there's great rejoicing. The Philistines are rejoicing and they're praising their God and they're thanking Dagon, the fish god, for delivering Samson to them. Many times they thought they'd prevail against Samson, but this time they have got him. He's in prison, he's bound, he's blinded. And as the time went on, it said the Bible says they became drunk. And at the point where they were drunk, they called for Samson to make sport of him, to humiliate him even more. But little did they know that it wasn't Dagon that had delivered them, Samson, into their hands. It was God, God of the heaven, God Almighty. God had put him there right where he needed to be. And as we've said, Samson's hair is starting to grow. And in verse 28 to 30, Samson is now led by a boy to be placed right in the center of this vast place under the five Philistine kings and he's asked to be placed where he can feel the two pillars next to each other and Samson prays to God give me strength this one last time to avenge me for my eyes where's this sin offering going to come from now I believe Samson is offering himself he knows the whole thing is going to come down and, and it's going to just crush him and collapse on top of him. Now, he hasn't got a sin offering as such, but he's willing to offer himself in full obedience to God's way. 
And the Bible says that we are living sacrifices. And that is what it's trying to teach us here that, you know, God, there's only one human sacrifice that God accepts, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Human sacrifice was a pagan thing. You know, lots of babies would have been offered to Molech and to Dagon as babe sacrifices. And we've said at the beginning of the study that one of the reasons that um, Israel may have been barren, the women within Israel that were barren, and we read that it was a possibility that the fact that they were offering their children as sacrifices to false gods, that God caused the women to be barren. So not in a fullest extent as a sin offering, but in an offering, obedience, full obedience to God's way, Samson is offering his own life in obedience to God. So in some way, Samson is offering himself because he's got nothing else to give. He would have gone to a high priest, to a priest and asked for a sin offering. That, that there would have been rededicated himself but he hasn't got that. He's, he's in prison. He's got no, he can't see. So he's offering himself in obedience to God. So he feels the two pillars next to each other. And the whole Dagon uh, temple is destroyed by the power of God through Samson. And it says there that he's killing nearly um, 3,000 men and women, including the five kings. This is where God wanted to strike within them five kings. And the Bible says in verse 30, so the dead which he slew at his death were more than which he slew in his life. So God's plan for the destruction and the, um, of the Philistines and the deliverance of Israel had begun, begun. If Samson had led more of an obedient life to God, this whole thing would have been avoided. Samson wouldn't have been humiliated. Samson wouldn't have to give his life. His eyes wouldn't have been gouged out. As we've said previously, if you obey God in God's ways, you'll be blessed. But if you disobey God, his plans will still come about, but it'll cost you, cost the church, cost your family. And that's exactly what happened to Samson. So if he'd have gone God's way, the blessing of God would have been on his life. But so often he went against God's ways. God's ways still had to be fulfilled. So Samson led such an obedient, a disobedient life to God that the, the only thing that could have happened to him was this. But God always makes things happen in spite of us, in spite of our sin, and in spite of our misdirection. He will still bring about his purposes. Right, right at the beginning, that Samson was called to start that deliverance from it, from the, for Israel from the grip of the Philistines. And because of this act now, Samson, the whole thing falls down and Samson is buried under rubble, isn't he? And do you remember what we said right in the first study that Pastor Larry had mentioned when we went through on a Wednesday night about the Ten Commandments and honour thy father and the mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise was long life, wasn't it? And now Samson's died young, hasn't he? Buried under a, you know, a Philistine Dagon temple in direct consequences of that sin of seeking a wife outside of his own people. Um, and in verse 31, as we've said, it says there that the family of um, Samson, they come and they find his body. Now, even that must have been divinely inspired by God, you know, when you think of some of these big disasters and it takes them months to find people's bodies and yet they find his body quite, it seems, quite easily. So that must have been even divinely um, directed by God. And um, he was brought back to the first place on which God called him right at the beginning of our study. And this was where he was born, between Zorah and Eshtalah. So maybe God here is accepting Samson's sacrifice of himself and he's not allowed to be buried amidst these pagans. He's not allowed to be buried under this Dagon temple, you know, under this pile of rubble. He's allowed to be found. He's allowed to be brought back to his people. And he's buried in the same place in which his father's buried. 
So we've um, we've looked at Samson and we've looked at all his mixed characters and the different signs of his. You know, he did show signs of spirituality, even though they're very small. He did show them. You know, he was willing to be bound that time. Do you remember? And go down to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. You know, that was a sign of faith there. But so often there were so many times of carnality in his life. But you know, our God is a God of forgiveness, isn't he? You know, we need to thank and we need to grasp that every day that he forgives. You know, you could put my life down, you know, have the book of Chris and look through my life and how many times I've sinned and been a disobedient and, you know, we could choose anyone in the congregation here. We could have our book written about us. But you know, there's one more place where Samson's mentioned in the Bible. And if you know your Bible well, you'll know where I'm going. Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is a book of men of great faith. And we've got Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Moses' parents. But in verse 32, it says there, And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, book of Judges, and Barak, and Samson, and of Japheth, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. So there, Samson gets a mention amidst these men of great faith. But we've just spent so much time picking out all of Samson's failings. Yet, in the book of faith, not one single sin of Samson or not one single sin of any of the men described here are mentioned at all. And it's because of God's forgiveness. Now, if you're lost, and as we talked last week about backs, you know, backslidden, and we've got to hold our hands up and say, we're all backslidden. We're all not further enough forward into God as we should be. But there's wanting to be where God wants you to be, and there's totally backslidden. And we've said that, you know, you'll eat your, your food with the pigs, just like the prodigal son. You'll be out there in the world. But there'll come a point where you'll think, because you've tasted of the heavenly gift of God, that you'll find out that there's nothing out there in the world for you. But you'll think also that there's nothing within the church for you. And just like we said last week about um, Samson being in no man's land up that, um, on that mountainside, you can be just like that, backslidden. But God restores the backslider. But also God is all God of forgiveness. And you might think, well, I've looked at Samson's life, but my life's worse than Samson. I've done worse sins. Of the things that I haven't got any signs of spirituality at all. I've got no signs of faith at all. The entrance gate to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he will turn no one away. If you have got so many sins that you can't count them, Jesus is not going to say, go away. Jesus paid for all of the sins of the world. That's every single man's sin, even if they believe or not. There's the opportunity for them to come and believe and be saved. He died for every single man's sin, saved or not. So God is a God of forgiveness. And God has forgiven Samson here. There's not one of his sins mentioned. We've looked at every single one. And we're going to, I'll look at this next time when the next time I preach and we'll go through some of the things that uh, loosely tied with Samson, but more to do with working towards heavenly rewards. So we're in Hebrews 11, verse 32, and there's not one mention of Samson's sin. And there's, if you look through each of every single person mentioned, there's not mention of any of the sins, only the acts of faith are mentioned there. So here Samson gets a mention amidst men of extreme faith, you know, Abraham, Moses, and there, Samson is in the same company of these men. So we've looked in detail at Samson's life, mainly filled with sin and disobedience, but not one of these is mentioned within Hebrews 11, 
verse 32, only his acts of faith. If you turn now to uh, Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That word transgression there is sin. It's a breaking of God's ways, God's laws. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sin from us. We will see Samson in heaven because of not of what all the sins that Samson did, but because of Jesus' blood and forgiveness and love and obedience. We will see him there because of faith in God. And we need to have faith in God if we're saved. All these men are mentioned within this book of Hebrews 11 because of their acts of faith. Now, I'm not talking about stupid acts of wanting to do something and kind of convincing yourself maybe that it's God's will and so wanting to do it and God's kind of deep, deep down, you kind of know maybe that God doesn't want you to do it, but you still want to do it anyway and you just say, I'm going to do it in faith. I've done that myself. I'm talking about knowing from God that that way seems stupid to you, seems foolish to you, seems that there's no way that any of the needs are going to be met, yet you're still going to do it in spite because of faith. Faith basically means to trust. Are we walking in true faith with our God? Are we displaying faith? And if you're outside of the faith, you can be part of this faith. Pastor Larry has gone through so many studies on contending earnestly for the faith that's once delivered to the saints from the book of Jude. There's no other way of redemption. There's no other man. There's no other prophet. There's no other religion. There's just one man. That God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one that can forgive sin. So thank God that there's that possibility of forgiveness. You know, we would just, the wrath of God abides on the unrighteous, but we've received forgiveness. Now I know, you know, Brother Pete said last week that he had a Martha week, but because of forgiveness, we should be able to forgive others. You know, sometimes the unsafe can be treated as very nice. And you know, sad to say, some Christians some people that you love, just as Delilah afflicted Samson first, sometimes Christians can afflict one another and we can devour one another. You know, it should be so. If we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and fix our eyes upon him, the author and the finisher of our faith, then all that sin that so easily entangles us will just fall away. But it's all through faith. Now, next time I'll, I'll point out what Samson actually did in faith and there ain't that much but he still gets a mention in the book of Hebrews so that's kind of the end of our study on uh, Samson I am going to loosely tie in with this Hebrews 11 next time or the time after that but you know I really feel God wanted me to bring this message and um We've said right at the beginning that we can read Samson and David and Goliath and Moses in the basket. And sometimes, you know, like the resurrection, we can read them through Sunday school eyes and we cannot pull every single piece of information from the scriptures out of it. And I hope that this has um, done us good. I know it's done me good. You know, this is second hand. This has all happened to me first. Whatever I've read here, I've had to put, apply it to me first. This is like second-hand stuff that I'm giving to you. I've had to go on about being backslidden, being about secret sins. Remember the honey in the carcass? You know, and he secretly gave it to his mom and dad. I've had to question myself, what sins am I doing secretly that, are, that I'm bringing to this church, to this congregation that are defiling it, that I'm bringing into my own home as a father? Please pray about everything that we've gone through. And I know that Brother Steve and anyone that's seeking to bring something as, as a message. You know, we don't, we're not just putting these together haphazardly. You know, there's, 
There's weeks of prayer gone in before we've even thought about doing anything and then God will put something in our mind and we'll think, oh, the hills praise the name of, you know, God. Maybe God wants us to hear about creation, praising his name. That's kind of the end of our study. Um, as we've said before, if you are lost today, if you're backslidden, um, you know, we all love to talk about salvation. We all, you know, if saints of God, we want to show you the saviour. He's forgiven us much, and we want you to be forgiven also. So if you want to know the way of salvation, you know, there's plenty within this congregation here that will sit and spend all afternoon with you, reasoning through the scriptures. If you're backslidden, you know, you can come. As we said last week, find that one person that you think you can talk to and go and talk to them. Offload your problems to them. You know, it says carry one another's burdens. Mm -hmm.